I have a voice, and I'm going to use it. This is Joy Silver with Outspoken. Welcome to all you defenders of democracy. Are you ready to stand up and fight back? Well, if you are, I'm with you, my friends. Outspoken with Joy Silver is presented by Harcourt's Desert Homes. Scott Palermo and James Sanick will be here in a few minutes to share more about how they can help you with your real estate needs in the Coachella Valley. We're thrilled to have them on board. You'll find them at harcourtsdeserthomes.com. Welcome to our guest today, Jarvis Crawford. He is the Community Center Manager for Palm Springs Department of Parks and Recs, a deacon of the First Baptist Church and President, and he's also president of the Palm Springs Black History Committee. Welcome, Jarvis Crawford. How are you today? I'm doing great, Joy. How are you? I'm doing good. I know you had a big celebration. I got there, but I got there way, way too early, Jarvis. So there you go. Okay. But I'm very happy to talk to you today and to hear uh, some of your um, your history, the history lessons of Juneteenth, because, well, our audience is very interested and our listeners need to know what is Juneteenth and what are we celebrating and how does it relate to Jubilee? Well, Juneteenth is a holiday that actually started a year after 1865, so around 1866, and it was started out in Galveston, Texas. Uh, which you guys know is pretty close to Houston. And uh, Juneteenth started as a day to celebrate true freedom for many African-Americans in southern states such as Texas. We'll just say mainly Texas. Um, What happened was uh, when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1863 to, to end slavery, uh, there were still folks that were enslaved in different states. And so, of course, you had to get the, uh, the different armies to go out and tell those plantation owners that, hey, these folks are no longer your indentured servants. And so uh, in Texas, in 18, June 19th, 1865, uh, General Granger with the uh, Army came to Galveston, Texas, and different areas of Texas to tell them that, hey, you guys are no longer slaves. And they actually had to have uh, soldiers with guns drawn to tell these folks, hey, this is it. Slavery is over. These folks are now free, and they are true citizens. And so June 19th, 1865 was when freedom for many African-Americans in the South and majority out of Texas were given their true freedom as citizens and not slaves of the United States of America. Mm. You know, that's interesting because uh, some of the storyline and much of the storyline that we've been given was that people didn't know they were free in Texas. But you're telling a very different story about the information. And I always I always questioned that because, let's face it, refugees from other battleground states were already in Texas, and there were newspapers and telegraphs. And, I mean, Texas wasn't excluded from all that, and we know they probably had the news. So that whole narrative that people didn't know that they were freed so you know, to speak. So I gotta, let me break it down to you, Joy. You yeah. gotta remember, many slaves could not read or write. Many slaves did not have access to um, newspapers at that time or even telegraphs at that time. So yes, the people knew. The, the white settlers knew or the white slave owners, plantation owners, they knew. But the African Americans who did not have access to that information did not know. So 
I mean, I hear what you're saying, but you got to understand, you know, yes, there were people that knew, but of course, if you've been getting this free labor for all these years and no one's officially came to say anything to you, you're going to keep sneaking around and doing what you can do until you get caught. Well, you know, that's and that's more that sounds more like the truth to me, because um, I always suspected that the real answer as to why the Texans didn't want to acknowledge. Right. Because that's really the situation. They didn't want to acknowledge that this was happening is because, well, there was cotton season. And that planting season runs from, you know, mid-May to mid-June. So they weren't about well, to... Well, plant, planting in general, because it wasn't all just cotton that was being uh, that was being picked up by the uh, slaves. It was other things, you know, fruits, vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was it was seasoned. <laughs> and it was always seasoned for some type of uh, vegetable or fruit or, or something to be grown at that time. Right, right. And I thought that one of the... Um, one of the tenets of having Texas be admitted to the union was that they had to uh, forego and, and acknowledge that uh, slavery in the way that it had been was over. But was it really over in Definitely. Texas, Jarvis? It really wasn't over anywhere in the South. <laughs> right. Tell us about you, you that. You got to do some history, and I'm not going to go deep in on that. But what happened was slaves had no place to live but on the plantation where they were living. Now, if you're telling a slave that, or you're telling a slave owner that you, you no longer have slaves, these are citizens, well, where do these people go? They no longer have jobs, they don't have a place to live because the plantation owner can push you off the plantation. Hey, go find your own place to live. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened is they, they started what was called sharecropping. And um, like I said, I won't get too deep because that can go, <laughs> that's a whole other uh, episode. But sharecropping was to say to the um the, the newly freed uh, slaves that, hey, if you work on this land, on this plantation, then we'll, we'll, we'll share some of this crap with you. We'll give you some land, but you got to do this amount of work. It's got to be done by this time, you, do, you know. And so it was basically, <laughs> you were still a slave. <laughs> right. It was... Because you could never pay that debt back right. to, to the, uh, the, the landowner as, as a worker in his field. So, um it was hard for them to to be able to jump right back into regular life because you didn't have a place to live and well, you had to do sharecropping in order to make a living well and 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 what was regular life at that point i mean uh, you you're talking about having no land no money no jobs no you know nothing no assets to take out of the out of those places and so what were the options at that point in time yeah. i mean that's what regular that's what you're talking what about yeah, yeah. Regular to them was what they were doing when they were slaves. But when they mm-hmm. were no longer slaves, it, you know, we had to find what do we call it now? A new normal. They had to find something, a new <laughs> regular. Should I say? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was difficult for them to um, assimilate mm-hmm. after such a you know a horrible thing. But to them, they didn't know it was horrible. They just thought, hey, this is the way of life. Mind you, these are generations of, of folks that have been, uh, families that have been indentured servants. That's right. And so uh, everything possible to continue that uh, regime was put into place, uh, certainly in many places. And, and to this day, I think we still see that happening uh, in many ways. We're going to continue our conversation, Jarvis, but first we want to share with you about our program sponsor, Harcourt Desert Homes. Hello, I'm Scott Palermo. And I'm James Sanak. 
We'd like to take a moment to share with you our unique and successful approach to working with Coachella Valley home buyers, sellers, and real estate investors. Our goal is to build a people-first brokerage, and a significant part of that is making certain that our customers can always count on working with quality, like-minded agents. At Harcourt's Desert Homes, James, myself, and our extraordinary team of dedicated real estate professionals are privileged to work with the best clients through our commitment to personal service and attention to a client's every detail. That commitment is how we have achieved the honor of being ranked to the top 1% of realtors in the desert cities. We have been named to the best of the best realtors in the Coachella Valley by Palm Springs Life Magazine. Scott mentioned the word unique a moment ago, but it's not just a marketing buzzword for Harcourt's Desert Homes. In fact, it's our superpower for helping clients worldwide. Harcourt's International is one of the half dozen most successful real estate companies around the globe with more than $34 billion in annual revenue. And it's the unique selling proposition that led us to affiliate our brokerage with Harcourts here in the Coachella Valley. That's right, James. Harcourts Auctions. This platform separates our brand from the rest of the pack. Think of this as a marketing tool similar to Christie's Art Auction in New York City. Just as with other luxury items and fine art, Harcourts Auctions sells luxury real estate to high net worth consumers. For more than six years, our brokerage has won more than 100 sales production awards. We'd love to put that achievement to work for you. We specialize in properties in Palm Springs, Rancho Mirage, Palm Desert, Indian Wells, and La Quinta. If we can help you, please reach out to us at 760-864-4100. Again, that's 760-864-4100. Or visit Harcourts Desert Homes online at harcourtsdeserthomes.com. That's H A R. C-O-U-R-T-S, deserthomes.com, Harcourts Desert Homes. We're located at 119 North Indian Canyon Drive in downtown Palm Springs. Remember, in real estate, knowledge is power. And we're back with Jarvis Crawford. He is the president of Palm Springs Black History Committee. And and Jarvis, before we had our break, um, I was kind of heading off to the inevitable discussion between Juneteenth and reparations, because you did describe Mm -hmm. how when slaves were freed, they actually had no assets in order to have an actual citizen life because uh, you're talking about 400 years of, of making sure that of being property, someone else's property. Can you talk a little bit about the concept of reparations? Well, reparations is basically um, giving to someone that hadn't had. So say, for instance, if, if a person did a job for you and um, you hadn't paid them for that job, well, now you got to give them what you owe them for the job that they did. Um, you know, say for instance, if you're working for a business and um, you got a, you were supposed to, you were supposed to get a raise on a certain date. Well, say you got, you, you got promoted and your raise was supposed to start two months ago. Well, they didn't give you that raise just yet. So um, since we, we owe you back pay <laughs> for that raise you were supposed to have gotten. Um, what is, I'm trying to think of the name that they called that in the, um, in the business world. But that's what reparations is. It's paying back something that is owed. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and folks will challenge that and say, well, they were property at the time. Yeah, but now we recognize them as people, mm-hmm. which they should have been recognized in the beginning. It, you know, God says in the Bible, and I'm a, I'm a faith-based person, you know, that um, people were made in his image. And so since we were made in his image, then we, we, we're all equal. No one is better than the next person. So same thing with these folks. Hey, they were people, too. Mm-hmm. That you considered property. So now that they are people, they and they've always been people. But now, because you say that they are people now, then you need to also give them back what is just due to them. So that's what reparations, uh, in my eyes, is is that to give back to those that you actually took from. Because lives were taken, literally, mentally and physically, lives were taken. That's right. Well, that's right. And and certainly um, slaves did not uh, participate in the wealth that they created uh, for the people who who they were ostensibly property of. And so not having that and then expecting people to be able to be a uh, have the same opportunities that white people who have gotten much government support. I mean, I'm thinking of the Homestead Act where they gave away free land and, you know, yeah, but had land grabs, the land grabs. Exactly. And it, do you um, can you talk a little bit about the, the, the famous 40 acres and a mule? This was often talked yeah. about as reparations that and some people think that it never happened, but it did happen until Andrew mm-hmm. Johnson became president. So talk a little bit about uh, 40 Acres and a Mule. Well, 40 Acres and a Mule is basically what was supposed to be given to African-Americans at that time. Because, well, that was the, that was the act that, hey, for, for um, our work to even this thing out, make sure you give these people something. And so that's what the 40 Acres and a Mule was. But to get 40 Acres... And the mule, mind you, this is back in the 1800s, the, the, the mid to late 1800s. So that was equivalent to <laughs> something real hefty nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, and so uh, having had that land, and then it, when Andrew Johnson became president after uh, the assassination of Lincoln, they took back the land and gave it. They, you know, this reparations thing. They gave reparations to the white slave owners and white plantation owners by giving mm-hmm. them the land back. Uh, the Japanese mm-hmm. in internment camps uh, were given yes. reparations there. Yes, um, even um, some Holocaust victims were given certain reparations for turning the boats back. Mm-hmm. And th- so, yeah. but and then wh- in our Native Americans, which owned all of America. <laughs> They were given back some of their land as well. Yes, some of their land. Uh, not, I would say that uh, certainly <laughs> the, the between um, the black population and the Native American population, the indigenous people, uh, certainly, uh, first of all, you're giving away land that you don't own. That's one thing. <laughs> so we do yeah. it. With that. That's a bit of an issue right there. But then uh, people who worked to create the wealth of America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. getting anything to start their lives and to continuing to do that all yeah. the way through the GI bills and the redlining. Yeah, cool. I mean, this is just mm-hmm. a continual stripping away 
of any potential to build financial wealth and and then turning around and saying, well, you know, uh, here's a population that hasn't been able to lift itself up by its bootstraps. Well, for goodness. Oh, that's the terminology. (laughs) And you and I have had conversations with that. You're going to lift yourself up by your bootstraps. It'd be good to have a shoe first. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. You know, That's right. so how how do you see reparations today, uh, and particularly in the context of history, and and here certainly in the Coachella Valley, how do you see that working out here? Do you think that there's anything that can be done to support uh, the black population, particularly in light of what happened oh, it's in? Uh, it's definitely something that section can be done fourteen. To, uh, sup- yeah, it's definitely uh, access for this. Um, we, we've seen funds being given away for, for for other things that we were like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, for instance, in the Desert Highland Gateway community, right on the outside of our community, they're getting ready to build a homeless shelter. Uh, a homeless shelter is, is needed. I can I can say that it's needed. But the fact that there are, there are people who, who were homeless at one time, people who were uh, without finding a place to live, you know, uh, decades ago, if you couldn't find money to assist them, Mm-hmm. But you can find money for a homeless shelter. You can find money to uh, redo an animal shelter. There's more money given to animals in, in, in our uh, valley than I think there has been those people that are truly in need. So yeah. if we can spend more money on animals, we can spend money on, on other things. Uh, we can fix the roads. The roads. We can, we can add new statues. We can do uh, great events with funds then let's use those same funds to help the hurt mm-hmm. that we've caused decades ago. Well, just in Palm Springs decades ago, but for America, centuries ago, mm-hmm. let's, let's help heal the hurt because the funds are there. There's money that is there for every, any and everything that could be done, but, but to help those that, that were in need and, and continually still are in need. I mean, myself personally, um, my grandmother Cora Crawford, I appreciate her. She always told me, you know, Hey, no one's going to give you anything. So you got to go out and earn it and you got to work twice as hard to get it. So me personally, I, you know what? I'm fine. I did what I needed to do and, and to, to overcome some of those barriers that were out there. But there's a lot of, of my people that have not and can't because, you know, this, this is a mental situation that we've dealt with over hundreds of years. And then to say that we're free and then after we're free to, to go through being segregated, separated, and then to go through have to go through a whole another movement, a civil rights movement, mm-hmm. and then after going through a civil rights movement, then being told that we were uh, um, we could not equate to the rest of America, and to be shown that we couldn't equate to the rest of America, that that's taxing on your brain and your body and your soul. And so now here we are, some of us with our souls hurt. You know, we say feelings hurt, but with our souls hurt, mm-hmm. it's hard to to come back from some things like that. You know, oh. so yes, you got to be a very special person to be able to keep pushing due to all those adversities that were thrown in your way. Wow, that's something. You know, I don't know that everyone actually understands uh, the toll that mm-hmm. uh, that this has taken on a people. And every and, and and what we see, we see that things move forward, but that economic power. That's been always mm-hmm. dangled mm-hmm. in front like a carrot on a stick, but is never quite yeah. there to be reached. You know, it's never quite, mm-hmm. uh, quite there or uh, to, to uh, it's it's what's it, it's what creates the fear that economic power. I mean, we look at the burning down of the city of Greenwood, Black Wall Street. 
It mm-hmm. was here's a here's a city that was doing fabulously, and that was just uh, as a separated, segregated city. It, absolutely, and yet it was with its economic power. This also caused the ire of those white people who could not stand to mm-hmm. see the success that these formerly mm-hmm. enslaved people were able to make of a city that where they were living and 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 were prospering there. Uh, can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the, the the history now? I know you are the president mm-hmm. of the Palm Springs uh, Black History Committee. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened in Palm Springs? So, um yes, I I, I got a little bit of the history, but it's a whole committee of us. <laughs> it's not one person that's the keeper of all. <laughs> that's true. And and because because we have a lot of folks that are on the committee a family that have been there for many generations, it's good to be able to grab that information. But but the history of Palm Springs and, and, and in Section 14, that was the question, right, about yes, the history yes. of Palm Springs and Section mm-hmm. 14. It, it, it's, it's a real easy story. We, we left the South to come to the West because we were told this was the new promised land and a new place to go and, and you can start all over, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's what people did. They came here to start all over. Um, some folks were able to start all over. Some fo- folks weren't. There was a gentleman who, who we know as one of the first African-American settlers. Uh, his name was uh, Lawrence Crossley. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he came in, in town with um, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Prescott Stevens and his family. And, and he thrived in Palm Springs when he came in the early 1900s. Well, when my folks came, you know, back in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, because we still had people going back and forth from Palm Springs to Texas, Palm Springs to Texas on my father's side. And then I had folks coming from Mississippi on my, uh, so no, Palm Springs to Texas on my dad's side, Palm Springs, Mississippi on my mother's side. So my folks kept coming back and forth to the South over those years in the mid uh, 1900s. And when they finally got to, to, to California to stay, they were able to be welcomed by a great group of, of folks because we couldn't buy land anywhere in Palm Springs. It was illegal for an African-American to buy land. Mm-hmm. It was illegal for an African-American to, um, to, 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 hold, to, to open up a business. You know, so those things weren't possible, but Native Americans welcomed us and said, hey, we got, some, we got a place for you. Mm-hmm. And so with us living there, then we had to, after being pushed off of the land, which was their land for them to develop on, but we were pushed off this land and it wasn't by the natives because they didn't have bulldozers. They didn't own water trucks. They didn't have the police to come to, to knock and deliver signs on your door. They didn't have these different entities at that time. And so with, with us, us as African-Americans, we had to thought, relocate, didn't have too many options. But when we went to look for options, we couldn't give a, be given a loan to, to buy a home either. Uh. Mm-hmm. So now we got to find a whole nother community. You know, Lawrence Crossley had a couple properties um, that he was able to acquire that African-Americans went to. Some African-Americans went back to Texas. Some went down Valley to Indio because there was some spots in Indio. Some people went to Banning, Riverside. You know, uh, there was areas there. And and majority of the folks in Palm Springs, they went to an area which is now called the Desert Highland Gateway Estates, which wasn't part of the city. It was unincorporated land. And they took that area, which was one of the, the, the most northernest areas, windiest areas, and turned it into a community. Mm-hmm. And luckily for that community, there were homes already built there, <laughs> which were some majority mid-century modern homes, but the folks that bought those homes, they couldn't stand that wind. Mm-hmm. 
and they moved. And then when they saw that African-Americans were moving in, there was another reason for them to move. And so um, the African-Americans then t- took that area and made it their own community. But most of that community had no streets. There were no lights. There were no sewer system. There was no electric. So, they, so the African-Americans had to go out and, and build their own community which is now the Desert Island Gateway Estates, which is also a community which is Lawrence Crossley neighborhood. These are some uh, predominantly African, were, per, were predominantly African-American communities in Palm Springs, and that happened um, by way of uh, leaving Section 14. Okay, you, you have told me that it's not North Palm Springs, but it is the north end of Palm Springs. I, I yes. Do, I do it, remember. It, it, it is now city limits, yes. yes. North Palm Springs is on the, on the north side of the 10 freeway. Right, <laughs> I remember you, you uh, giving me that information in other conversations we've had. Well, let me ask you one more question uh, before mm-hmm. we have to close our program today. And, it has, oh, and as usual, it's always a fascinating conversation that we have and that I have with you, and I appreciate your time so much. What would you suggest um, that, or do you suggest that there is uh, at least one item that Palm Springs could do to pay reparations or to support the community in the north end what what is what are what is something that palm springs could do the city of palm springs the city itself or the people that live in palm springs these specifics so i can make sure i answer the question correctly well i'm thinking the city which is uh mm-hmm. because the government's supposed to represent the population so let's talk about mm-hmm. what what could what could happen with the city itself well, well, what the city could do is, is look at the issues that have, have happened with African-Americans um, and, and just the city of Palm Springs and make a decision that they know would benefit the community. You, you, you've heard from the community. You, you, you've, you've talked with the community. So go from there. Since you represent the people, go from there and, and just listen to what the city, what the, what the, I'm sorry, what the citizens, African-American citizens, have reached out to you with. Well, thank you so much. And this has been Outspoken with our guest Jarvis Crawford today. And it has been presented by Harcourts Desert Homes, specializing in properties in Palm Springs, Rancho Mirage, Palm Desert, Indian Wells, and La Quinta. Click on the link from Radio111.com for more information. This has been Outspoken, and we're going to stand up and fight back. Oh,